The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pray regard to vain vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right, let's pray. Um, God, I just want to come to you um, and just have a teachable heart, Lord. I pray that all of us here would have teachable hearts as we as we learn from Randall um, about this passage. God, I pray that it would speak to our hearts and that we'd really be able to identify with what Jonah went through. Um, even if we're not in the belly of a fish, God, we can be in really deep, dark circumstances. Um, So, Lord, I pray that you would meet us today wherever we're at, and I pray that you'd empower Randall. Just give him the right words to say, um, really speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brooke. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If this is your first time here, my name is Randall, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm just thankful that uh, we are continuing to go through this book of Jonah because it is so deep. It's so deep. There's so much here that we can glean from that we need for our daily lives. And um, so we're going through the book of Jonah uh, here in the month of September. And uh, the tagline of this book of Jonah is learning to love a city. Learning to love a city. And so uh, just to give you a brief review of what's happened here, God quickly came into Jonah's life and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go preach against them. This is what I want you to do. And Jonah runs in the other direction. And so he, instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. On his way to Tarshish, he gets on this boat. He's going out and he is running from the presence of God. And then we catch up with him, uh, Jonah 1.17 through 2.10. So that's the scriptures today that we are going through. And he gets swallowed by this big fish. So that's where we're at. And uh, the message today is entitled, The Deep Work of God. The deep work of God. Now, let's ask, what is Jonah 2 about? Commentator Sinclair Ferguson says, the deeper work of God took place, not in the belly of the fish, but in the heart of the prophet. Not in the realm of nature, but in the realm of grace. See, as I talked about, we've been looking at this, the life of Jonah. 
And Jonah lived during the time of Amos and Hosea. And so he was a, a, what we would call a minor prophet. What we could say he was brought up in the church and he was doing the work of God. Yet we find him running from God. And Jonah is not a fictional character. Jesus talks about him in the New Testament And he talks specifically about Jonah getting swallowed by this fish. And so this was not a a fictional moment. But Jesus even claimed that he was a historical person. And this really happened. So as we study his life, many of us would say that we could relate to Jonah. Getting into a dark place. Maybe we haven't been swallowed by a fish, but getting into a dark place and struggling just internally with our relationship with God. You see, God called him to preach to a very savage people, his enemy people. And because of fear and anger, it caused him to run. You see, in many of us, we get into these deep places of fear and anger, dark places. And many of us think that that's our only option. And so why did God call Jonah specifically to Nineveh? Why did he call this prophet to go to a people that were his enemy people? Stephen Beale in his article, Nine Ways Jonah Prefigured Jesus, writes, Nineveh was not some random city to which Jonah had been sent. At the time of Jonah, Nineveh was on its way to becoming the largest city in the known civilized world. With the city population hitting 100,000 the century after his preaching. It was also the capital of the Assyrian Empire, then the world's largest and most powerful. Just like Athens and Rome, centuries later, Nineveh would have embodied the Gentile world. You see, many prophets, as we read in the, the Old Testament, were sent to the people of Israel. Right, God's chosen people. So they were sent specifically to God's chosen people. But what we see here is that Jonah is sent specifically and strategically to a city filled with people who'd never heard of God before. The one true God. In every sense of the word, Jonah was being called to be a missionary to people that were far from him. And so again, why did Jonah run? Well, we talked about this the first week. Comfort, fear, prejudice, racism, doubt, legalism, sin. And so before Jonah, who was a man who struggled just like you and me, could be into, sent into this city that was so far from God, God had to do some deep work in his heart to change his character, to change who he was. Because at this point, he wasn't ready to go to Nineveh. And so our text today is Jonah 1, 17, uh, 2 through 10. And, and, and where we pick up today is verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the word here for appointed is the same word used later in Jonah 4, 6 through 8. And it refers 
to God's ability to control nature as he desires. And so God appoints this great fish to swallow Jonah. And you see, for many of us, we, we struggle with that. We're like, how is that possible? And the question is, your question probably is, did this really happen? And my belief is yes. Yes, it did happen. Now, Desmond Alexander writes this. He says, it is the author's belief that this miraculous event did occur. And he asked the reader to accept his testimony to that effect. The account of Jonah's unique rescue is not embellished with vivid descriptions of either the fish or Jonah's stay therein. Indeed, the fish is mentioned only two verses and even then briefly. So do I believe this story happened? Yes. Is the fish the main point of the story? No. See, for many of us who've heard this, this story of Jonah being swallowed by the fish, we, we made that to be the point of the story. It's like this guy was swallowed by the fish. But the writer, and the way he's writing here, it's just a detail that happened. It's just something that happened. And so what is the point of this? It's that God is going to do some deep work in Jonah's heart. Some deep work in here. See, before God deals with the city, he must deal with Jonah. You might say, well, how, how does that relate to me? You know, this week I was driving in my minivan. I'll just put it out there. I love my minivan. I was driving in my minivan, and I was thinking about Grace City. Because I just got done dropping off the backpacks, which you so graciously donated last week to the high school here. And we were able to come in and, and present them to the, high, the, 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 the leadership of the school here. They were so thankful. And so I just want you to know that, that they say to you in, in the notes you wrote last week about the difference they're making in this community, they were blown away. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And as I was driving back home from delivering those backpacks, I thought to myself, you know, Grace City has been here for almost three years. And because of God allowing me to be a part of his calling in my life, it's made me a better person. All of this, like it hasn't been easy being a church planter, but I want you to know that by the grace of God, he's made me a better person. And I couldn't imagine if it wasn't this call that, that God called me into because there have been some difficult times and I've seen some things within my own heart that God has had to change in me. And so as God looks at Jonah, he says, I've placed a call on your life. And what it's going to take is I'm going to develop your character through this calling. And then I'm going to send you to a people that need me. See, that's what he's doing. He's developing him from the inside out. I didn't just get called in to go planting a church. He said, I want you as my son to know me better. And I want to develop you, Randall, from the inside out. That's how God works. He doesn't just call us to a task, but he says, I love you as my child. And I want to develop you and help you to become more like me. So that's what he's doing in Jonah. 
See, collectively, before we can truly be a church for our city, like we say every week, we are a church for our city. Before we can do that, God must deal with the very rebellion that lives within our own hearts. The places where we run from God, the places where we say, God, I don't want to do that. He has to deal with that within us. And so what did God reveal about himself to Jonah in the belly of the fish? Because you see, Jonah had to be shown it wasn't about Jonah. It's all about God. And so what did God reveal about himself to Jonah in the belly of the fish? Here's what he revealed to him. It's three things. And so we're gonna go and see it throughout this text. The first one is this, that he listens, that God listens. The second is that God directs and the third is that God saves. God listens, God directs, God saves. And so the first one, we're gonna see it in verses one and two. It's this, that God listens. Here's what Jonah says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, Sheol is what they would say is the, the abode of the dead. It's, it's this dark place. In his darkest moment, he's calling out to God. And there were two specific things that he was, he was saying in this desperate state. Here's what he says first. He says that God answered me. And it says, and he answered me. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. He says, and you heard my voice. God answers and God heard him. Now, th this is pretty radical when we talk about God, when we talk about the way in which culture at that time would have seen God, it would have been a statue or idols or something that doesn't respond back, that doesn't have a relationship. But, but the whole time that we see through the book of Jonah is that God is a responding God. He is a relational God. He is one that speaks. Psalm 18.6, David cried this out. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Do you wonder at times if prayer matters? Do you wonder if you're just shouting to the sky and saying, is there anybody up there? We've all had those moments in dark moments. But what we find throughout the Bible is that God hears. And specifically, it says that he heard my voice. My voice. What God is showing Jonah specifically is that he's a God who hears his voice. You mean the guy that ran from God, the guy that thought he could get away from God's presence, he heard his voice? Yes. Yeah. He heard his voice. See, in our rebellion, do we believe that God listens and cares enough to hear us? 
Many times what we do is we judge our day based on good days and bad days, don't we? I mean, even my kids right now, it's like you had a good day, you had a bad day, that type of thing. It's just good day, bad days. And so what we do is we take that and we apply it to God. And so we think, okay, if I'm having a good day, then this is what it looks like. The beginning of the week, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying at the start of the day. I'm listening to my Christian music as I'm driving on my way to work. I'm worshiping wherever I'm going. And I'm nice to the people at the counter. Even if they might not be friendly to me, I'll leave them a tip. And so we say, I'm going to have a good day today, and that's what a good day looks like. But then about Wednesday, it starts to get a little crazier. I'm I'm in a little bit of a rush today. My alarm went off and I slept in a little bit later. And so I didn't get time to read my Bible today. And then, you know what? I, I just turned on the radio and it wasn't on the Christian station. And so I just listened to it because I like that song. And then you get to Starbucks or something in the person at the register is a little rude to you. And so you say, okay, no tip for you. And so you just kind of move on your day. You don't talk to them. A little upset in your heart. And so you just go outside and then you're backing up and somebody's trying to pull into your space and you just give them the eye, you know, like, hey, what are you doing? And then you get to work and it's just one of those days where you're just like, I don't want to be here. Bad day. So my question is, good day, bad day. Did God listen to you? just as much on your bad day as he did on your good day? Could you think in your mind that God could love you the same as what you would have called your good day on your bad day? Because what we're seeing here is Jonah's having a really bad day. Just got swallowed by a fish because he was running from God. Really bad. Could God love you in that moment? You know, Jerry Bridges talks about this analogy of good and bad days. And here's what he says. The point of this good and bad day comparison is this. Regardless of our performance, we are always dependent on God's grace, his undeserved favor to those who deserve his wrath. Some days we may be more acutely conscious of our sinfulness and hence more aware of our need of his grace, but there is never a day when we can stand before him on our own two feet of performance when we are worthy enough to deserve his blessing. That good day that we paint in our mind and we say, God, this is all the things that I've done and look at me and of course you're listening to my voice now could never be enough to meet his standard. See, we are all in need of God's grace, his undeserved, unmerited grace and love and mercy. And that there's a God who could love us like that. He could hear my voice, even on my worst. So what's happening here? Jonah has been confronted with two questions. Chapter one was this. Do you know God? Because he was filled, he was on a ship filled with sailors who did not know the true God. And so the question for him on that boat was, okay, Jonah, are you going to step up and say that you actually know the true God? And he did. He says, I know the one who created the land and the sea. I know him. 
And then he gets thrown into the water. He says, throw me in. And now in the belly of the fish, here's the question that he's being asked now. Do you love God? Do you love that God? The one that you know about in your mind, that you've been serving and that you've been telling people about, do you, do you love him? Do you love God? That's what he's being confronted with now in the second chapter. Because what we see is a loving God affectionately pursuing, listening to, and answering his rebellious child. You know, one of the things I was asked this week was by my son. We were driving in the car. And one of the things he asked me was, um, Dad, what if I do bad things? Is God still going to love me? He says, because I do it all the time. I do it like every day. He's like, man, I, he was struggling. And I said, does your dad love you every day even though you have bad days? Yeah. I said, well, think about how much of a better father God is than I am. Think how much he loves you. Think how much he listens to you. So he still loves me in those moments? Yeah, he does. Because that's the kind of father he is. And so that's what Jonah is wrestling with here. The second part is this, God directs. Let's look at verses three through seven. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Look at Jonah's perspective of life and how it's changed in the belly of the fish. See, this is a man who thought he could run from the face of God. He thought he could get into the innermost part of the boat and he could get away from God. And now, look at what he says. Verse three, you cast me into the deep. All your waves, your billows. Verse four, your sight, your holy temple. You brought my life from the pit. My prayer came to you, your holy temple. See, his life went from me-centered, it's all about Jonah, to God-centered. His perspective changed in his dark moment. And he now sees his whole life It's in God's hands. It says, I went to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. He is on the verge of death here. Desmond Alexander says, on the brink of passing out for lack of oxygen, Jonah's thoughts suddenly turn to God. And he now sees that his whole life And whether he lives or dies is in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. In the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, 
there's one particular book uh, called The Horse and His Boy. Now, this is written by C.S. Lewis, and uh, he writes about this, this amazing, magical world, Narnia. And one of the characters in this book is named Shasta. Now, Shasta was born as the eldest son to the, and he was the heir of a king. Um, and he was kidnapped as an infant and raised as a fisherman's son in the country. And Shasta comes in contact with Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this series of Narnia. And here's what he says. It says, Shasta was a little reassured by the breath. So he, he, he told him, um, he's never met his real father and mother. He's brought up sternly by this fisherman. So he's talking to Aslan. He told of this great escape. He was chased by lions. He swam for his life. He had all of these dangers, beasts howling at him in the desert. He told of the heat and the thirst of the desert. He says he, he couldn't even remember how long it was since he ate. And he looks at the lion and he says, isn't this terrible? And the voice of the lion spoke back, I do not call you unfortunate. Shasta says, don't you think it was bad luck that I'd been through all of this? What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there, there were at least... Two the first night, and he goes on about how bad his life was, about how he was being chased by these lions. And he says, there was only one lion that was chasing you. So how, how do you know that? And Aslan looks back at him and says, I was the lion. He says, I was the lion who forced you to join the army. I was the cat who conformed you or comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horse uh, the, the new strength of fear for the last mile so you could reach your father. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so they came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. The point of that story is that God was there in the darkest moments, in those moments of fear, in those moments of, of how am I going to survive? God was there. God directed Jonah exactly where he needed to be. See, Jonah's life was not an accident. It was directed by God. And Jonah had been doing the work of God so long that he forgot the God of the work. He forgot the God of the work. It's very much like what we talked about this morning in the gospel training. If you weren't able to make it, I encourage you to come next week. But one of the things that was said was, there are two callings in your life. The first one is your primary calling to know God. 
to know him. And the secondary calling is whatever else you get to do in life, whether it be your work, family, whatever it is. Those are the secondary callings. But what can happen sometimes is we switch it. We switch it. Jeff said it so well this morning. He said we can switch it and we can make the job, the family, whatever else, first place. And we, it will never be enough. And so God had to show Jonah, okay, you're a prophet of mine, but that's not your identity. Your identity is my child. It's my child. You are a child of God first. His life was God-directed. Third is this, God saves. God saves. Look at verses eight through nine. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse eight talks about steadfast love. He says, those who who place their faith in false gods forsake the steadfast love of God. Uh, What this is, it's, it's called hesed. Now you'll see it all through the Old Testament. Hesed, the hesed of God. See, what is the foundation of our salvation? It's purely this, that God sets his loving kindness upon undeserving people. He sets his loving kindness upon undeserving people. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols. What what do people turn to that are are different, who who reject God? They turn to things that are not going to give them a loving kindness, a grace. Maybe it will last for a little while, but it isn't steadfast. You see, so many of us think that we have to earn our identity. We have to earn who we are. And it's like my wife's favorite TV show, Project Runway. One day you're in, the next day you're out. That's what it is. I had a friend that was on the show. And I remember the day when she was out. But you know the thing that kept her, that, that her identity wasn't rocked? She says, it's all because I knew Jesus. She was in the top five couple seasons ago and she said it was me knowing that I was loved by God she said and just backstage she she told me she's like you should have seen how many people were just crushed in their spirit because they lost everything they're like I gave everything to this and they lost it but she said I knew that God loved me no matter what happened See, God's salvation comes to us in his loving kindness, and it doesn't end. It's unending. Karl Barth, uh, a theologian, once said, let us hear what the Bible says and what uh, we as Christians are called to hear together. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. See, there's no room for pride in that. There's no room for pride in the heart of Jonah, a prophet who's going into a city that deeply needs God's grace. 
He is brought to his lowest point. He has shown the deep parts of his heart that are dark. And we're reading about it today. But it's, he's all brought to this point to know that it is God's steadfast love, his grace that is upon his life. And so what comes out of Jonah? What is it that he just blurts out and says, this is it. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. God saves. God saves. And so quickly, just some takeaways. How can we see God's work in our lives from what we've read from Jonah today? Number one is this. It's by knowing that God uncovers deep truths in our lowest moments. God uncovers deep truths in our lowest moments. See, Jonah had to be brought low before he could be raised up. Scott Hubbard wrote this in an article in Desiring God. He says, uh, it's called Learn How to Be Brought Low. He says, being brought low may ruin our plans, but not God's better, wiser, kinder plans for us. If we will learn how to be brought low, we will one day testify, I want you to know, brothers, that this bankruptcy has really served to free me from money's stranglehold. Or, I want you to know that this betrayal has really taught me how to forgive. Or, I want you to know that this sickness has fueled my hope for heaven like nothing else. See, what happens when we're brought low? We're taught deep truths that only God can teach us in those places about what really matters. See, and as hard as it is for us to believe, being brought low can be a gift from God. It can be a gift from God. The second takeaway is this. God knows the best way to bring us back. God knows the best way to bring us back. Are you okay with God directing your life? See, he's ultimately in charge, whether we believe it or not. And what it took for Jonah to be brought back was for him to be swallowed by a great fish. That's what it took. It took him running as far as he could, going through a huge storm, being thrown into the ocean. Here's the thing. He didn't know that he was going to be swallowed by a great fish. He didn't know that. And he said, just throw me out there. They were so far out, he couldn't have swam back. But God sent this fish to swallow him and take him back to dry land. See, there are things like that in our lives. We say, okay, God, I trust you. And he provides the vehicle to get us to where we need to be. And so it happens in our life as well. Here's the good news. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. He knows what we need. It's funny, we were walking in the YMCA yesterday, walking with my kids, and um, they asked me every morning, they're like, when are we getting breakfast? When are we getting breakfast? What's the plan on breakfast? Can we go to the cafe over there and get breakfast? No. 
I have a plan. We're going to do it. And then Kai says, Dad, you're kind of like Jesus. He's like, what? He said, well, you know, you're, you're kind of like Jesus. Like, you know, like God, he has a plan. You just don't know what it is. But you can trust him, you know, that he's going he's gonna to get you. All right. Got a plan. Charles Spurgeon says this, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. The heart of a father who cares about his children. He's gonna get us to where we need to be. And he knows the best way to bring us back to him. So I wanna end with this. Jonah 2.10 says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is a picture of the gospel. Like, that's a gross picture. That's disgusting, you know, like Jonah just getting vomited up upon the dry land. You're like, what was that like for Jonah? He was, he was just near death. Now he's on dry land. Blah. You see, Jonah was beaten, bruised up from the journey. And what he was was just this like reluctant prophet sent to a desperately sinful city. And his life was spared. What beat him up? got them their sin. And for us, what's the thing that just keeps beating upon our life? We live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And that God would send his son to do everything he could to get us back on dry land. Because Matthew 12, 40 says this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What did Jesus do to get us back on dry land? He faced down death. Jonah didn't die, but Jesus did. Jesus is a better Jonah. Jonah was this reluctant prophet who didn't want to go into the city. Jesus was the willing, loving son of God who walked in the city and said, I will lay down my life for you. And so today, Jesus isn't reluctantly saying, come to me and I'll forgive you of your sins. Here's the good news, that he is a loving savior who says, Whatever state you're in, you feel like you're in your darkest moment, come to me and I've got the grace that you need to find true hope, to find a life that you never thought possible. And so will you accept his invitation today? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you see who he is? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace on our lives. I thank you for...
the story of Jonah, as we look back at this prophet, man of God, who walked away. But yet you brought him back. Oh, the riches of grace. Oh, the kindness of God. We thank you for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.